0: Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss
1: all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started.
0: Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today, we have yet another in our series on neurosurgeons' hobbies, and um, I'm very delighted to be joined by a, a close friend and a long-standing peer, Greg Trost. Greg, uh, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks. Thanks for asking me to do this.
0: So let me, let me introduce Greg, because he's a man of so many talents. Uh, anybody who hasn't had the chance to sample some absinthe. Uh, which is a, a green liqueur with Dr. Trost, is missing out. Greg uh, used to be a professional chef. Um, he then became a neurosurgeon. And I were you Ed Benzel's first spine fellow or one of the first?
2: Uh, I actually, I was never a fellow of Benzel's. I was one of Ian Kalfas' first fellows. And I met Ed um, when I was uh, in my, my first year of practice when we went to New Mexico to do the What's now the cleveland fine review but back then it was a double ans course where uh, we did a week of uh, didactic stuff and in cadavers so that's where i first met ed and he and i've been really pretty close friends since then
0: so i would think of you as being almost like an honorary fellow because you're like one of his earliest uh younger colleagues and, and through that and through your own talents you become well known in the world of spine. And um, now you're partners with Dan Resnick at Wisconsin and uh, and do just amazing spine work. And you have a home in the, in the Florida Keys as well, right?
2: I do in fact have a home in, in Key West.
0: Great, well, Greg is really a true, uh, a true expert surgical technician. And by that, what I mean is that Greg is the kind of surgeon, at least from what I've heard from his trainees, that can tackle just about any problem um, from the mechanical side and fix it, and so we wanted to have him on to talk about one of his very interesting hobbies, which is I guess to say it in a certain way is it's not so easy to just put it in words. But Greg makes uh, makes things out of raw materials, and he's uh, told me that he's been involved in several projects now. Um, and it's something that I'm not good at. I'm not really good, like, handy around the house. So, Greg, tell us a little bit about how you got started on this journey of, of this hobby, if you will.
2: Well, this, uh, the, the initial part of this all goes back to my father. Um, my father is a, a very handy gentleman um, and can fix anything around the house and so forth. So when we were kids, he bought a piece of property up in uh, northern Wisconsin, and he decided that we should build a house. Um, and I don't mean just you know build a house as having a builder build it, but what what happened was we would go up there on the weekends and we would build a house uh, physically, do all the cutting and putting boards in and so forth, and we did the whole house other than the um, other than the foundation. Someone else did the foundation, but we did all the plumbing, the electricity, um, and all the all the walls and ceilings and uh, installed everything, and then. He used to own uh, retail stores, um, and he would need he would need cabinets built, and so he taught me how to build cabinets, so I would build uh, the display cases and so forth for his stores, both uh, in a place called Door County, which is a Wisconsin vacation land, and then um, he was in Aspen for several years um, and had several stores there, and I built cases for that, and then in high school, I did, you know, metal shop and wood shop and stuff just because those things were Uh, interesting to me. So my my father was always under the impression that we should never uh, pay for something that we could build on our own. And my brothers and I all are are sort of handy that way.
1: Well, that's a great story of your background, Dr. Trost. I've actually spent some time up in Door County since I moved out to the Midwest for residency. It's a beautiful area. Um, But kind of pivoting from that, one thing I love to ask people like yourself who are handy, who are builders is how you switch mental systems, so to speak, between different materials. I have some moderate at best experience with woodworking from a job I had in high school, and if anything, it taught me less about how to work with wood and more about how to appreciate different materials, different tool systems, and to never ever touch anything electrical. I've never done electrical work, plumbing, metal work, things like that. So I wonder if you could talk briefly about how you keep the different materials that you work with straight, how you develop an intuition for what you can get away with, and how you keep straight all the different ways to solve a given problem.
2: Well, uh, so my, my my father always said that the use of tools uh, entails the loss of blood. Um, it also entails being shocked, it also entails getting wet, and all of those things. Um, and so some of it is uh, is just getting the feel for it as you do it. Uh, not starting on a very big project, but working on smaller projects. Um, and I think that probably the, the, the electricians oftentimes don't turn the power off when they do things. Me, I'm not quite that silly. I, I turn the power off and when I turn it back on, if something blows up, that's, that's fine, but I don't like to be electrocuted. Um, and then uh, I like tools. Um, and so I always research what tools I need for a, for a project and just buy the, buy the right tool. It's a, it's a terrible thing to do to try to do an adequate job of something without, without the right tool. Um, and, uh, the, the more you look on the internet these days and find instructions and stuff on how to do these things, which and you can almost do anything from looking at the internet or reading a book, um, is, uh, is, is that you figure out that you shouldn't be just going at it with the, with a chisel when you have some better power tool for it.
0: So great, you know, so we talked a little bit before the recording about the stuff that you're doing and it's totally amazing to me, the type of uh, of products, if you will, or the type of of uh, things that you're making out of raw materials and, and you mentioned something about watercraft and kayaks and stuff like that. Do you wanna tell us a little bit about how you came to doing that and, and what you do you actually use these? Uh, these boats for transportation
2: yeah so the boats the 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 uh, I've built one uh, so far and took a couple of years but the, actually the way that I got into it is uh, I see patients in a community outside of Madison about forty five minutes away and one of my patients um, owned a company called rock uh, Rock River canoes um, and it's a place where people would go to do their own canoes and kayaks and rowboats and so forth. So he he said one day to me, why don't you come on over and take a look at what I have? And uh, maybe you might be interested in doing something. So this is about four or five years ago. Now, I walked in there, maybe six years ago. I walked in there and said, oh, wow, find a spot for me. And so there's several um, spots that you can look at on the Internet, and you can buy these things as kits, um, meaning that you can buy them as just the, the architectural plans for them. Or you can buy uh, buy the the frames to make them and the wood, and so you can buy them in in any set of things that you want to do, from from almost nothing to to um, being able to, to put them together. So I picked out a, a tandem kayak. It's called a Great Ock Double that I bought uh, from a place called Chesapeake Light Craft, and um, I bought it as uh, the buying the forms and the and the wood. The thing that's that's not so easy to understand. When you say kit, you say, "Well, that'll be easy to to put together." But in fact, these are um, three quarter inch wide by one quarter inch thick strips of wood, cut in bead and cove, um, which is just a way to piece wood together. And what you have to do then is um, you assemble all of the the uh, the the forms along a beam. Uh, so it's a mine was a twenty four foot long beam, and there was a different form every. 12 inches and you have to square those up and line the forms up and then you start laying these pieces of wood on, um, and gluing them to one of those. So, and then you have to cut them to fit. And, uh, when you get to where the, the bottom of the boat or the top of the boat come together, that's a bit of a trick. So all those things are, um, something that requires a bit of skill and cutting angles and so forth. And, um, and when I was building it, the guy that built it was a wow, man, you didn't have to pick the hardest boat to build. So, I did that. In fact, that boat um, will be on the cover of uh, January's um, World Neurosurgery. That's the cover photo. So, if you want to look at it, you can see the boat part of the boat there. It doesn't show the whole thing, but it, it shows you the top of it.
1: Well, that's impressive. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for that cover, uh, so we could all see your work. Um, you know, in in previous episodes of this mini series we're doing on on hobbies and our outside life from neurosurgery, we've talked about The product of the work that we do. Um, In an episode on cooking, uh, we talked about how when you make a dish, you can actually enjoy it and give it to someone and let them see your work. Whereas our work in surgery, oftentimes people only see an incision, but they don't really have a grasp of what it is we're doing with our hands. And there's no one to really appreciate the quality of that work uh, from the standpoint of the the beauty of it and the craft of it. Um, Maybe since you have a foot in both worlds, you could talk about how it feels to build something with your hands and see the finished product and share that with people and let them experience it. Be it I'm um, a boat that you can take out on the water or, you know, you talked about electrical work in a house where you flip a switch and nothing blows up.
2: Yeah, that's, um, I don't know. I've, this is sort of the way that I was raised and that I just, I just like to do things with my hands. Um, and I, I'll tell you the, the, um, the humbling part about, making things, um, is people look at these things and say, wow, that's really beautiful. Uh, but, but you know, there's always, you know, there's something that's not quite perfect or a little bit of mistake here or something that doesn't quite fit together. Um, wow. but you're the only one that notices that, um, other people just look at these things and I think they're often, uh, awed by the, the, um, the, one, the beauty of it. I mean, in fact of these, of the boats that I, I, I make, um, about 60% of them never see the water uh, because they're people look at them as, as pieces of art um, and they don't ever really want to use them uh, mine's gonna mine's getting used so that's a little bit different but um, you know to, to you know you drive down just as so when I was bringing it back in the shop even you drive down the road and people are honking their horns and giving you a thumbs up on these things because these are just they're just really impressive um, looking looking pieces of, of of work or art or whatever you want to call them, but it's certainly, you know, something I enjoy doing. And I know how much hard work it, uh, it took to get it to look as good as it does. Um, And so there's a, there's a bit of uh, probably, maybe some humility in building them, but certainly a sense of pride that you get by, by having other people look at it and, and be, be awed at what it looks like.
0: Well, Greg, you know, it's interesting uh, how you describe this. And I can feel the passion in your voice when you talk about this. And, and I think about, we have a lot of younger, you know, younger listeners, if you will, people younger than you and me. And I think about how they, the commentaries that we have kind of a throwaway society now that like, if I were to get in your kayak, and I were to scratch it up, let's say, how it would affect you differently than if it's something you had bought at, you know, like Dick's Sporting Goods or something, right? Tell tell us about your connection with these pieces of, of whether it be uh, artwork or whatever your handicraft produces and how the process actually brings you closer to that and how that relates to maybe being a surgeon, right?
2: Yeah. It's, it's always having uh, ownership for what you do. I mean, there's people that could easily disconnect themselves from, um, from a complication or a problem with a patient. And um, I'm, I'm certainly not that way and I know you're not that way um, stuff goes home with you. Um,
1: you you
2: mentioned the scratching of the boat because they're all they're fiberglassed and varnished um, and so the, the guy that I that um, whose shop I worked in and uh, gave me a few pointers here and there told me the first thing you ought to do um, is to go out and put a scratch in it um, so that you're not so disturbed by the uh, by the scratching but typically what will happen is if it gets scratched. I'll just sand it out and, uh, and re varnish it. So, um, it's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, ownership and, um, maybe a lot of love for some of these things that, that you do. Um, they're, they're not your children, but you know, they've, they've taken a big part of you both, you know, because like, like, like surgery, it takes time away from family and so forth. So there's a bit of sacrifice for some of the time you spend doing these things. Um, and certainly, some of those things you have you have to balance because I could easily spend my whole day in the garage and uh, building stuff and not think about other things. But there's they, a lot of there's a lot of affection you have for these for these things.
1: Well, thinking about that affection for the objects you build, and also as you previously mentioned, the attention to detail and the knowledge of the minor inherent flaws that went into the building of something you made that maybe someone viewing it or experiencing it from outside who wasn't part of that process they don't know they just think it's a beautiful product if we turn that around when you see things that other people have made do you look at it with a critical builder's eye and do you tend to notice more those little flaws or are there details that you look for as someone who knows how these things are put together or are you able to take that hat off and just enjoy a product for what it is
2: I think it's actually I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think you look at some of these things and, and you uh, you look at them sort of with a raw eye uh, and really can appreciate uh, the beauty of these things. But you um, you tend to look for the little mistakes and and the the guy that 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 owned the shop really made sure people did a good job because he really would harass you if you were doing something that really wasn't up to up to par so yeah I look for things but but i i I appreciate the the uh, the work and the and the skill that goes into to manufacturing something.
0: So, Greg, you know, you and I share a love for American football and uh, I've, I probably get myself in trouble again. But on this podcast, I've commented before about how I love football and hate soccer. And, uh, and the reason I do is because I love all the preparation that goes into football through the course of a week or a season. And then you're on the field for maybe like a couple minutes or a couple seconds even. And you got to execute. And so I tell people, when you come to the OR, come prepared, like really prepared. And I'll never forget there was a young individual, Vignesh Kumar, who's a resident here. I just got sick of seeing people come here to do spine surgery or train and not know how to use a mallet, right? Not know how to use it properly. And so I said, I want you to get a two by four and I want you to get a thousand nails at Home Depot. And I want you to put those nails into that board. And he came back after the weekend. And I got to show you this. It's perfect. It's a piece of artwork. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna let you operate on all my patients. You're gonna be my assistant. So, with with, and I'm a terror like that in the OR. But tell us about how, for the younger folks, how this process maybe makes you a better surgeon. Does it make you see things differently? Does it make your hands better? Does it make you stronger? Um, t- tell me about the relationship with surgery in this hobby, especially in spine. I
2: uh, I think um, I don't know. It's- I'm a pretty detail oriented person Um, and I'm, and I'm really fussy about uh, making sure that things are right. Um, And that, you know, that, and that's just sort of my whole perspective in, in, in being a surgeon. And then it carries over into my, into my projects, whatever it is. Um, And so I think, I, I think they're, they're tied hand in hand and certainly, you know, the uh, just like you prepare for the OR, are you prepared to do um, to do these things? I mean, I've got another project coming up that we can talk about if you want to. That um, it actually takes quite a bit of preparation and studying to to do this. I read I read actually probably about three books on uh, on building boats before I even tackled this project. Um, and so once again, preparation, attention to detail, um, not not settling for something that's not right.
1: So, Dr. Trost, in your work, and your professional life, you're a detail-oriented surgeon. In your primary hobby and the thing that you do for fun and to fulfill yourself outside of work, you're a detail-oriented builder. Is there any aspect in your life where you just kind of let loose and relax, or do you find a different kind of relaxation to decompress from work in the still detail-oriented, focused, uh, constructive tasks of your building hobby?
2: I have I have a I have a lot of hobbies. I think you guys are probably talking to time it's about fishing. But um, when I when I go to my other home in Key West, um, that's that's strictly uh, relaxation. Um, my wife and I get our sit on top kayaks and go kayaking out under the canal or out into the under the river. We relax. We we cook uh, good meals. We have a few drinks. We sit there and you know, sit on our porch and look out over, over the sunsets and the sun rises, um, and just relax. And, and I quite frankly try not to think too much about work stuff when I'm down there. Um, but it, it happens. And then, um, I enjoy fishing quite a bit and I'm not a good, I don't really enjoy freshwater fishing, but I really do enjoy uh, saltwater fishing. I have a good friend who's a a guide up about 20 miles from, from where I'm at. He's actually a, a person that my um, who actually bought my father's old house up in Kajokee. Key. Um, and then he became a fishing guide. Um, and I've known him for about 15 years. So, um, I go out and relax, but you know, once again, to be a good fisherman, you got to be pretty detail oriented. And, um, but I, I realize I'm not as good at that as some other things, but I don't waste a lot of extra time practicing, um, I count on my buddy, the guide to sort of put me on the fish. Um, and then, um, I can, I can reel him in certainly, uh, if you've talked, to, I don't know if you've talked to Mike or not, but, um, if you guys talk to him about fishing, he can share with you, um, our tales of tarpon fishing on fly, uh, in, at my place. Um, it's, it's an obsession of his, he's obsessed with it. Um, I'm happy to catch him not on fly.
0: Yeah, I have some beautiful tarpon in my backyard, as as you know, Greg, and and we're practically neighbors. But I want to I introduced you with the concept of absinthe. And I know that you are really a connoisseur of many things, including cigars and alcohol. I want you to tell me about your your favorite alcohol, at least for this decade, because I know it tends to change. And tell us about your passion with that as well, and, and, and how um, how young people can get inspired about having passions and something besides neurosurgery. So, what are, what are you drinking nowadays?
2: <laughs> well, it, it depends where I'm at. Um, if I'm in Key West, I'm probably drinking um, rum uh, from uh, uh, from uh, the Hemingway Rum Company, which is which is located in Key West. It's called Pilar. Um, and they're not—they're not Coke and rum, uh, rums. They're they're sipping rums, um, and so it's easy just to enjoy them. They're really, really fantastic. Um, if I'm back in Madison, um, I think it depends on the depends on the night, but um, I certainly enjoy bourbons, and I have a wide variety of bourbons. The, the, the really good bourbons, I don't open uh, that frequently. I try to stockpile them so. I've got, like, if, if I could drink Weller 12 bourbon every day of the week, I would, but it's so hard to get it that I open it occasionally uh, and have one. Most nights, we we just enjoy some white wine um, and just one one or two glasses because we're kind of lightweights.
1: Well, Dr. Trost, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, enjoyable for me as someone who loves woodworking, Key West, and definitely loves bourbon. Um, But we want to respect your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show today to uh, share with us your passion for building things and and the products of working with your hands, which, you know, all of us as surgeons work with our hands day in and day out. But oftentimes, as we talked about, don't have something to show for it at the end that you can use and take home and enjoy for yourself or for others. So again, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting me to do this. Maybe next time we'll talk about the The next project in my backyard.